With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What it do? James Arthur Zuba. Arthur Zuba, no. Michael, actually. Michael. Close, though. If only. It would have been fitting, huh? Facts, facts. <laughs> are we on? Are we are we doing the thing where we record and I'm already? Let's get right into it. We're not going to waste any time on this Wednesday night because we have breaking news. You want to announce it to the people because I bet they haven't heard. Break breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, the the only breaking news is I, I put on like five pounds. Uh, I think that's the only breaking news that I really got. We'll get to that. In food section in the middle of the show, but first, Andre Jackson's going to UConn. Well, it's not. It's not breaking, man. It's been out for like, it's been out for like seven hours. All right, here we go. Let's flip this over. We're gonna run the intro and we're gonna get into this because there is a lot to chew into on this topic. I'm Bobby Manning. That's James Zuba, and this is the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. Jim Beheim and Syracuse have done it. Andre Jackson goosebumps, man. in the bag. That's what it seemed like for the longest time. I mean, we talked wow. about this over the summer in our first episode. You had just written that article about him, Dior. You know, Syracuse's pursuit of both of them. We didn't know what was going to happen with Dior. But as far as Jackson went, guy from the area, a guy that Syracuse absolutely committed to to the highest degree in recruiting made him the basis of their 2020 recruiting class almost and you had some competition from some other schools of course ucla is going to be a drawn basketball Uh, once uconn gets into the discussion with hurley they've been a strong recruiting come up but we didn't expect this kind of seismic shift on this recruit he was a shoo-in man he was a shoo-in i thought for sure that, that Dre was going to go to Cuse. And, you know, I'll go back to, you know, we, we all saw the writing in the wall the past week, right? You know, I mean, he took the visit out to UConn uh, the weekend of September 20th, the 21st. And then he was supposed to go to Iowa the next weekend. He canceled his visit to Iowa. So, you know, you read the tea leaves a little bit and you say, okay, he's going to UConn. But, you know, I'll take it back to the previous summer, summer 2018. You know, I interviewed him at, at Slam um, at the Summer Classic up, up at Dykeman. You know, I live in New York City. So um, I actually spoke you to know. him last summer. Yeah, they, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Uh, no, I, I spoke with him last summer. And, you know, I, I specifically remember asking him, I'm like, hey, you know, do you do you, Joe and Isaiah, um, Isaiah Washington, do you guys ever, um, Isaiah Stewart, excuse me, do you guys ever talk about teaming up at like a Cuse or something like that? 
because at the time they were all uncommitted and they're all city rocks kids and they, they all had Q's offers and you know, Dre at the time he goes, he goes, you know, we're just kind of enjoying the process. He's like, Isaiah, I'm not even sure what he's going to do. And and he was standing next to Joe, uh, Gerard, who was, you know, obviously uncommitted. And he goes, you know, I talked to Joe about it. I'm like, Hey, cues, cues, like as if he were nudging him. So, so right then and there, you know, and, a lot can change in recruiting and you know that, but I'm like, okay, like if this stands, he's going to go to Q's and then lo and behold, you know, we can fill in the gaps, but you know, lo and behold today he commits to UConn and, and Danny Hurley. I see the UConn people joining the Periscope. I haven't heard from too many of them. Are they making noise today? <laughs> they, they've interpreted a little bit. We got like no escalators. He's, he's coming at the noons account saying Syracuse says not a five-star guy since Mike Hopkins, which is true, by the way. Oh, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're chirping. They're going in the periscope, and deservingly so. What a huge move yeah. for that program that's been in the dumpster for so many years. Let me just do <laughs> a little dose of UConn positivity off the bat because to swipe someone away from a school that seemingly had control of a guy the way Syracuse did with this recruit is a massive, massive move for them. Now let's go into the layers of this. Because there's so many. I'll let you share yours that you want to emphasize as well. But my first one is, right off the bat, this comes in the wake of UConn making that move back to the Big East. They've struggled mightily in the AAC, not only from a competitive standpoint, but recruiting, coaching stability, all those things. Now they get a Hurley. They get into a basketball-only conference that has a lot of allure for people who have parents or uncles or grandparents who watch the Big East. And now all of a sudden they land a marquee recruit in this next 2020 recruiting class to establish Hurley's core, the next decade of that program. And all of a sudden, I think UConn just leaps ahead of Syracuse in terms of recruiting you know, viability. This move was so massive for them. Yeah, no, I, I think they sold him there. And I, I think, you know, any anytime you get a new coach into a program like that, there's a little bit of excitement. And coaches are able to ride that wave a little bit. I mean, look at you know, look at Memphis right now and Penny Hardaway, and look at look at the recruiting he was able to do. So, um, you know, Hurley's doing the same thing at UConn right now. But but yeah, you know, let's let's dive into the layers. Um, you know, we can we can go all the way to you know back to this summer where um, you know Syracuse was really recruiting Andre. Uh, he, he went to the Florida State game in the Dome last year. Um, he took an official then. And then he took an unofficial uh, to Syracuse again in the late summer, and he went to the elite camp as well, which I don't know if anybody knows that, but he was at elite camp. Um, but, you know, I, I spoke with him again um, this past summer at the Slam Summer Classic and, and was talking to him, and, you know, he was just breaking it down, and, and, I, and I asked him to break down each school. And interestingly, you know, he started with Maryland, and he just said, um, you know, he goes, my one of my, my former teammates – he went to Maryland, which which is, of course, Kevin Herter, and, and he went out there his freshman year. So I actually thought, you know, maybe Maryland was in the mix a little bit, even though they got in kind of late with him. Yeah, the uh, first school they're going to name, though, just yeah, showing some now, respect to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just kind of throwing it out there. And, you know, the UCLA is interesting because Mick Cronin was recruiting him at Cincy, and then he took the, the UCLA job, and, of course, they wanted him to go out there, but that's kind of far from home. Iowa was also interesting just because he said, you know, he's, he's known McCaffrey for forever. Uh, he's known the, the McCaffrey boys as well, who, 
you know, he's going to have two of his sons playing for him this year from, from his days at Siena. You know, obviously Albany's, uh, you know, Siena's very, very close to Albany, and that's where McCaffrey coached before taking the Iowa job. So he had known him for a while, and then he didn't really say much about UConn at the time. You know, he mentioned Syracuse and just said they started recruiting him when he was a sophomore. They'd been on him early. You know, it was kind of just all about loyalty. And then he just said, same thing with UConn. He didn't really say much about him. So from that, you know, I, I didn't really think that the UConn was, you know, like a heavy player to land him. How, how much had he seen UConn at that point? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, he, he had said that they'd re- recruited him since his sophomore year as well. But that was a different coaching staff. You know, that that was, you know, obviously, um, you know, Kevin Ollie and, and his staff. And obviously Danny wasn't in there at that time. So I, I didn't think they were necessarily like a huge, a huge player in this thing. And then. You know, obviously filling the gaps. Um, I'd heard that they they really sold him on the Big East. You know, that was part of it. And one thing that he mentioned is just having the ball in his hands his first or second year. And had he come to Syracuse, I don't know that he would have that same opportunity. And I think it was really smart of the UConn staff to really sell him on that. You know, you heard him talking today about, you know, just just the ability to play right from the jump. Um, to get get those minutes and get the ball in his hands a little bit. So I thought they recruited him well, and, and they obviously landed him. So that speaks for itself. You want to have a bedrock guy who you're saying is going to be able to be the basis of your next years to come. And I know the Syracuse team is young. They're going to have guys on the roster next season and the season after that who are here right now, which is a good thing. And the thing about Syracuse is that they're going to develop guys who weren't top 100, top 50 guys into guys who at least succeed within the context of their system. And that's how they've gotten by without the recruiting successes that other schools have had, that Washington's had since uh, Hopkins got there, and now that UConn's accomplishing under Hurley. There's extra emphasis on this for me, though, because, you know, we'd love to see Jim Beheim coach John's son in 18 years, <laughs> but it's probably not going to happen. This uh, was, this was the establishment of the core for Bayheim's last run at a title, really. And I don't think any of us look at this Syracuse team this year and say they're going to be title contenders this year, even next year. You never know. But if they got a guy like Jackson and, you know, Isaiah's still out there, but now you're tossing it up on one guy. Willie oh. Newton's there. He's a borderline top 100 guy that they grabbed. That's nice. But you don't have an established core guy for this final two, three, four, whatever years it's going to be a Bayheim left. Bob. That's tough. Bob, we got, we got to pump the brakes a little bit. We got to pump the brakes. So I, I, do, I do hear what you're saying. I think Andre would have been a really big get for Q's. But we got to remember, and to Kevin's point, Kevin Wall, he made this point. If, if both Elijah and Quincy are back again the next year, then Syracuse probably didn't have a very good season this year. But there's still the possibility of every Syracuse player in 2019-20 returning in 2021. So I, I don't think – I think Andre would have been a great get, and I think it, it's it's a little bit telling that Syracuse couldn't land him. Uh, I, I know some people would disagree with that, but I do think it, it is a little bit telling that they couldn't land him. Uh, but, I, but I do think that – Everybody has the possibility to be back again next year. I think Syracuse could be really good in two years. I, I don't know if, if Beheim will ever have a legit shot at a title, though, again, in his time at Q. So I think I do sort of believe that the teams of recent vintage are, are going to sort of continue where 
it's going to be this this fight, you know, to, to be be in the tournament discussion. And, to, you know, it's going to be a, a bubble fight every year. Uh, I just don't know that Syracuse will ever get back to that level it once was under Bayon. Because you, you need that core guy. I look at this team this year, and I know Elijah Hughes can be great. I absolutely expect him to be. I still believe in Jalen Carey, despite the struggles that he's gone through in Greece, some inconsistency in Italy, even, you know, some word of, you know, how's he doing so far in the preseason? We got to see him against these exhibition teams. We got to see him in that point guard role. They don't have a guy right now, even as much as I love Quincy Gary and what he's going to be capable of here, of just, you know, powering the team through in a matchup like Duke, in a matchup like UNC, separating this team from the competition. I mean, that's what Tyus Battle was able to do for them in spots. Um, that's what Michael Benajay was able to do for them that year that they got to the Final Four. So those guys can work out of the woodwork, but you'd, you'd rather work that out of recruiting. Now, is, could Isaiah be that guy? I don't know. That's that's the big fallback right now. How how confident are you feeling about landing him at this point? Yeah, I mean, anytime that you have a recruit who names you in their top three, you know, usually it's a top five, but you know, it's it's, it's a top three. So that was, um, that was some silver lining to the Andre news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Syracuse is just really determined to get a Jackson one way or another. <laughs> Jackson, that's the deal. I uh, haven't had one since Rick, so you got to go out and get one. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that I think people don't people look at the Alabama thing and they kind of just they scoff at that. But but do remember that, you know, Nate Oates took the took the Alabama job from yes. UB. Uh, he coached at Romulus High School in Detroit for, for over 10 years. So he he has connections and he has relationships there. And he took his top assistant from UB with him. Um, so, you know, he does have those connections. And, and I do look for that to be a factor in it. And he. Yes, Kentucky on there as well. And what we've seen in recent years, and really any time, uh, sans Daywan Coleman, any time that a kid has Kentucky in his top five along with Syracuse or Duke, he usually goes to Kentucky yeah. or Duke. So, uh, you know, look, it, to, to be named in the top three is great, and it sounds like he had a great visit. You know, he spoke with Adam Zagori of Zag's blog, and, you know, he had some nice things. His, his father had some nice things to say about Syracuse and the family atmosphere and all that. But, you know, again, if they can't land him, uh, I don't think the sky's necessarily falling on Syracuse because you could theoretically have everybody back. And you have another forward coming in next year, as you mentioned, in Woody Newton. So I, I don't necessarily think that it would be a devastating blow as much as it would just be nice to have a kid like that who's a top 25 player in his class to come in and, and play a solid role in his freshman year. It's a momentum thing too, though, because these younger guys, they need to see a class before them that's getting a guy like this. You, you said it perfectly there. You know, Stort, Jackson, all those guys talk from the Albany area especially. That's an area that you want to have dominance over just being a regional powerhouse that's right down the road an hour or two. And they yeah. got Joe Girard from there. They got Buddy Beheim from there. You know that that one goes without saying. But <laughs> you be, you <laughs> better one, Buddy that Beheim. one wasn't a hard get, I'd imagine. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Syracuse you know, has a strong t- tradition of grabbing the City Rocks kids. Uh, you know, you think Tyler Lydon. You yes. know, this year's uh, Howard Washington actually did play there uh, very very early on in his career. And of course, countless others that have come out of that program and, and through the Syracuse pipeline. So, you know, that that's a pipeline that, you know, Syracuse would want to continue. I, I don't necessarily think that this does anything to deteriorate that relationship, not getting Jackson. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I don't view this as sort of like, uh, 
you know, the, the relationships going away or, or Syracuse should be concerned in that regard. I just, I think that he picked UConn because it was a chance for him to play right away. Mm-hmm. It was a chance for him to get the ball in his hands a little bit. And I think the relationship with Hurley had a lot to do with it as well. So, you know, if, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I'm not really concerned that the, the City Rocks relationship is going awry. That, that brings me to my layer two, though. I'll test this one with you since you're in, like, layer one. Yeah. Hurley, Hopkins, th- those guys are getting a head start on establishing what they're going to have at those programs for years and years to come. It, it's great that we're riding out under Bayheim. You know, I've been pro Bayheim over the years, even as the screams have come down from the Raptors against him over the recruiting mishaps that they've had and the inconsistency of, of the program over the last, you know, five, six years or so. I, it's tough to see those schools get that head start on the next era when we don't even have a good idea of where Syracuse is going to go after Bayheim. I would have to agree that Syracuse recruiting has taken a hit and, and other schools have taken advantage, um, you know, specifically Hop. You Why know, do you I think, think it is? Well, well, Hop is a great recruiter overall to start with. You know, he got so many guys in the past, you know, Rakeem Christmas, Michael Carter Williams, the list goes on and on of all those those top ranked guys he got. Uh, Hop is is fantastic with people and he's charismatic. And when you get him in a room and you talk with him, he's just a guy that you believe in. Uh, so I think that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, he was there for 20 years at Syracuse and could speak to a lot of those things. And, you know, all the, the assistants right now, of course, have played at Syracuse too, but they haven't had the longevity there that, that Hop had, um, or, or maybe not the charisma. And that's not a, a slight on anybody on the current staff, you know, that just speaks to Hop. Um, but yeah, any, you know, Hop had those relationships with all those New York guys. Uh, you think about Nas Carter, Hamir Wright, um, and of course, Isaiah, he had known those guys previously and was recruiting them to Syracuse. So now all of a sudden it just becomes a sell to come to Washington, which isn't exactly an easy sell because you're, you know, over two, two, two point five, you know, a hundred miles away. But, um, you know, uh, I think the, the times have changed a little bit, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to go play for a young and energetic coach? Uh, like I, like I said before, anytime you take over a new program, like, like Hurley has and like Hop has too, there's a wave of excitement and, coaches are able to to sell that a little bit and they have that excitement and then they want to get these young kids to come play for them so uh, I, I definitely think that's part of it and you know certainly Bayheim has been in Syracuse for 44 years it's not exactly new and exciting but I think there is a sell I mean I think Syracuse can and they are getting these guys you know it's it's not that they're not getting recruits or they're not in the conversation I do think Syracuse has taken a hit and they they haven't gotten the top rank you know the five-star guys that they've gone after but they're getting those next tier guys. So it's not as if recruiting has totally fallen off a cliff. They're just not getting those once in a blue moon five star guys that they, they have in the past. And they're digging deep for them. You got to look back at O'Shea, what a massive success that was. I don't think that he's going to get the credit he deserves as a diamond in the rough since he left after a tough second year. Uh, that one was ginormous for the program, especially the run they had with that core of Battle, Howard, and him. Uh, no doubt. You know, Battle himself was a massive who in its own right from Michigan. I mean, He's look back at what player. these last few years would have looked like if they didn't pull him from Michigan. Right. He was a top 30 guy. I mean, Syracuse landed him. So, like I said, I mean, it's not like recruiting's fallen off a cliff. And what the staff has done is also, as you mentioned, find the diamonds in the rough. Dola so you find, guy. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you get the Brissette, and then you find a guy like Dolajai, 
uh, who, who was really recruiting him. And you have a couple other guys in this freshman class who could be in that mold as well. You know, I mean, the jury's still out, but by by what everybody's saying and, and what we've seen from Quincy at this point, he could be that next player. And also, I mean, let's see what we get out of a guy like Jesse Edwards, who might be another diamond in the rough, another international kid that people haven't really seen much of. So I think, you know, like the, like I said, the staff hasn't really brought in those five star guys, those those top 20 players as much as they normally would have maybe in previous years. But they're still doing a good job of recruiting overall. There was a trade off they had to make and they they had to know that if you were going to commit to Bayheim going for years to come and they had to there wasn't a choice there really you can't tell Beheim you're not coming back after 40 years here but when he decided to do that there was going to be a trade-off and Hopkins chasing other opportunities when you're that good at recruiting as he was had such a stamp on that program waited as long as he did it was only a matter of time before another great program was going to be calling like Washington and he's done an amazing job there pulling stored away all of that. The other thing for UConn on their end is they have a lot of NBA guys hanging out around that program. I, I know one of the managers on that team, and Andre Drummond is there regularly. Um, Kemba Walker going to the Celtics. He's going to be around UConn all the time now um, from what he's indicated. And yep. that, that just makes a massive difference. I mean, you don't see Melo at Syracuse all that often. Um, you know, Dion Waiters, all those guys. And then you got a lot of guys playing overseas now. So they, they just don't have that dynamic, and that's going to be huge for UConn going forward beyond the coaching grab that they've gotten in Hurley, which has done well for them so far. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think you know Tyler Lydon was up this summer, and you get the Beheim's Army guys around. So so that does help, but I don't know if it necessarily – like when you talk about a mellow now, I don't necessarily know that it has the same meaning for kids now coming up because they, they weren't old enough to really remember – when Syracuse won the title at three. I think it you would think so? if he was around Syracuse often enough. You think so? Yeah, I, and that's why I have a very, very fringe dream one day of him leading the program like we see with Penny Hardaway right now, but I'll <laughs> save that for a podcast next year in the summer or some other time. But, I mean, think, just, you know, imagine a hypothetical, as impossible as it is. Mello takes over the program. You don't think kids, you know, even if their parents remember Mello playing better than they do, they're not going to go watch YouTube and see what he did and see what he accomplished here and be like, wow, that's something. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I think it matters, and I, I definitely think it has an impact, and I definitely think that you know having the name on the practice facility, all that, um, both, I, I think it does have an impact, but I just think it's different when you've lived it and you've watched it and you've experienced it. Yeah. Uh, I just think there's no substitute for that. But no, three was a long time ago. <laughs> we were kids, man. I was you, five. Were, you were in diapers, bro. Come on. <laughs> so, hey, anyways, uh, yeah, we got we got some other things to talk about here. Yeah, yeah. Let's we, uh, we'll, we'll do a two minute whiner this time since there's just so much going on. Um, <laughs> I had a Malbec, which I love. Um, that is just a great, great red that I got from California. Shout out to my aunt for buying me that one. 
Um, I'm in the beer and wine class, which I've mentioned a few times here. So we're getting some good stuff in there. I was disappointed we didn't get a port because we were doing like Portugal, Spain, that type of thing. But uh, I did try a really nice Riesling from Germany. Very sweet. Almost tasted like apple juice. So that's the only love I'm going to give white wine is that Riesling. It, it tastes like a juice, but in a very good sparkly way. Bob, Bob, I'm sitting here saying we got other things to talk about. I'm, re- I'm getting ready to talk about media day. I'm getting ready to talk about the new Syracuse basketball jerseys, and you go right into wine. Hey, Bayheim would approve. <laughs> oh, wait. No, he wouldn't. He doesn't. I, 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 associated, I associated the Italian with the wine, but no, the Italian with him goes with Pepsi. All right, no, no worries. Uh, you you said you had a nice Malbec. Isn't the Malbec? Isn't that a blend? Yeah, that's a blend of oof, probably. You know, I'm not even gonna guess. I'm not gonna make myself sound stupid because I'll get called out. All right, well that's why I asked you because I, I knew it was a blend, but I don't know what the what the varietals are. So, uh, haven't had any good wine myself lately. Oh, um, come on, not within the past week, man. And and I'm doing a thing before basketball season. I'm actually on a one-month detox. I'm not having any alcohol in the month of October this year. So water's the way to go. Hey man, I'm 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 two days in. I'm doing pretty well. I'm pretty proud of myself. So, awesome. Uh, so, so California, no let's get to that one. That was a big one this last week. Um, the, the angle I actually want to take on this one was, and for, we'll introduce it for people who don't know. California passed a bill on the you know LeBron James led. SB 206. Yes, yes, SB 206, and it was signed on that LeBron James Barbershop show, which is fantastic. That's a really good watch, and there's a lot of good conversation on there. I liked when Snoop Dogg was talking about a mother when LeBron James got into a fight with an AAU mother. But uh, the, the bill was signed on this show. and 2019, man. What California is attempting to do is not allow students to – you know, profit off their likeness. What they're doing is preventing schools, the NCAA, from punishing students, taking away opportunities. Uh, scholarships would namely be the big one here uh, for profiting off their likeness, whether it's a YouTube page, whether that's the, you know, Destiny USA uh, signing that Tyus Battle did after he declared for the draft, that type of thing. Uh, those opportunities are going to be available to students now. In California, USC, UCLA, all those schools, um, barring this legal action by the NCAA. And what they're claiming is that it's unconstitutional, that it's breaching on a private contract between NCAA and these schools. And it sounds like they actually have a pretty good legal case from what I've read of, you know, nixing this California bill. Do you, do you think they have a Destiny USA in California? You think the California guys are doing autograph signings in a destiny? You no, know, I'd imagine they don't need malls in California, to be honest. If I lived in California, and we could ask John about this, I would not be at the mall very much because I'm in Syracuse, they Boston, and I malls, steer man. very clear of the mall. They got the outdoor malls. It doesn't rain out there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I went to one of those when I went to L.A. Those, that was amazing. It was by the ocean, boats. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think... I don't know if you read uh, Dan Wetzel's column at, at Yahoo, but I think he, he spelled it out really, really well, and he, he hit the net, the you know, the nail on the head. But uh, what it what it is, I think a lot of people have it confused with pay for play. Uh, you know, the California schools they're not they're not all of a sudden paying these players to go to their school. That's not what this is. Um, and and one other caveat, I I think you you said it really well, but one other caveat is this isn't going into effect for another another three year uh, yeah, twenty twenty three. January 1st, so the 2022-2023 season. 
Uh, now, other states are pushing for this as well. New York's pushing for it. Florida's actually pushing this for, for a lot sooner. Um, they're trying to get this enacted within 2020. But, you know, changes, changes coming in the NCAA. Uh, it's, it's interesting when you look at it, I think at a local level, at least from Syracuse, uh, we had, you know, Kevin had a good piece on this earlier this week about the sponsorship opportunities that have been missed. Uh, but think about how much opportunity there is for, for Syracuse guys at the local level. You know, as you mentioned, the autograph signing, um, who's not to say that these guys can't hop in a few commercials, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that this has been a long time coming. Everybody's sort of come around to this idea that at least if, if we're not going to pay the players that they should be able to, to profit off their own name and their own likeness. Yeah, there were a couple of objections to this that I read because nope. I do want to see the other side and see what their concerns are. Of course, the paying players one is the athletic department finance aspect, which we're not even going to get into here because that's not what this is. But some concerns about this one too were that you know, there, it wouldn't be equal opportunity with something like this. You know, the right. best college football players in Alabama would get these car deals and all the rest, massive, massive contracts with businesses. And, you know, the bench players, special team guys, uh, you know, backup point guards, they're not going to get anything out of this really. And, you know, to some degree that's true, but... Like you said, even a signing event, if you're going to get like a Howard Washington down at Destiny or something like that, that's just going to draw some people and get him a little bit of money. You know, this was this whole conversation was just about breaking that glass because right now it's just nothing. These guys can't get anything. If Johnny Manziel signs autographs, it's going to be a huge scandal. And even if a guy makes a hundred bucks, that's huge. I mean, if you handed me a hundred bucks right now, I'm in college, James. I know you remember a time like this. If I got a hundred bucks right now, I'd be, I'd be in my glory. Dude, if I got a hundred bucks in college, I would be rich. We used to joke. <laughs> I went, I went to Marist. Me and my roommates used to joke at Marist that anytime we wanted to go out to get to eat, we'd have to take out a loan just because we didn't have any cash. <laughs> so, and hey, look, like you know, people say that these guys get paid a little bit more than what the public understands. They do get stipends for food. And, you know, they're, they're getting their meals for them anyway. So they're just pocketing that cash. But, but what I don't, what I don't understand is why, why are we limiting what these guys can do? Like just, just open this up and have it free market. And then, you know, we say that, well, the pay is not going to be fair. You, you know, how do we, how do we properly pay somebody on the basketball team versus somebody on the field hockey team? And that's, that, that is an issue. And, you, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a silver bullet or a perfect solution for all this. But just as in any organization, you, you go in any organization and the, the top performers are paid more than people who aren't at that quite that same level. And the, the lesson is, is pretty simple, is if you want to get paid, you can be a top performer. So you work harder. So I think if we open up the market, it'll, it'll only better things. Uh, that's not to say it's a perfect system, but it, but it is a better system overall. Not, not only that, but a fair system is going to keep the best players. Because at this point, guys are looking for other opportunities. I mean, LaMelo Ball is playing in New Zealand right now. Is that right? I don't, I don't, do, I don't even know where he's playing. <laughs> I, don't follow, <laughs> I don't follow LaMelo Ball. Bro. The, the sport would be so much better suited by having a guy like that in it, though. Love him or hate him. And would, the other concern I saw is that, oh, all of a sudden, these companies that are sponsoring Syracuse Athletics they're going to go to sponsor the players now, which could happen. But what kind of investment is that by a yeah, local Syracuse company when a guy's only going to be here for average two, three years? 
Well, what's what's wrong with that? I mean, in, instead of making big donations for facilities and getting your name on a, a trash can in the locker room, what's wrong with just going directly to a, pay, a player and paying them? I mean, this is going on anyways. Have, have we not seen what's going on with the shoe companies? I mean, this this has been going on. So mm-hmm. so why not just open it all up? Why not just put it all out in the open and be transparent about it? Well, there's an equity aspect there, too. You want money going into these athletic departments to funnel opportunities to a team like the field hockey team. No, the, I, I don't the disagree. The other side of that, though, is, is opportunity really going to trickle down when you know they're getting that kind of money from football and basketball? No, I, I don't disagree, and I think you know having facilities and all those things that that matters. But when you start getting alumni's name on on you know menial things, I think is when it gets a little bit out of hand. But um, you know, like I said, there's not there's not a perfect system, but uh, but I do think you know you make these changes, and it is a more fair system. The NCAA said we can't have a breakdown of the equality that we've seen under the rules, where 50 states are playing under the same laws. Well, well, 50 states could adopt a system like this, and we'd have a very fair system for everybody involved. Well, it, it's it's funny. Did, did they use the term equality? Because you, you can't be sitting in the power seat and be talking about equality. It's not <laughs> I how believe that... they – I'd like to pull up that quote, but I believe they did use that word in that statement about 50 states playing under the same rules, or at least implied it at the very least, and you're right. There's always a level of hypocrisy there. But, you know, this is the NCAA. The second they give an inch here, the whole thing's going to come crashing down for them, even if it is just this uh, system where guys are going to be able to profit off their likenesses because all along everybody's known that these performers are employees in some manner. And once that's credified with money coming in for them, the NCAA just knows this whole system's going to fall apart for them because – they have succeeded under the guise that these are student athletes and nothing more for so long. So that's why they're going to come guns blazing against any initiative to empower players. Yeah, and, and if if this all gets passed at the state level, what are they going to do? They're going to are they going to ban every school from the tournament at the state level? It's well, a big it's, loss to be had for them on that end too. There is a big loss for the for them to, for it to be had on that end because then you get into a situation where. You're going to have it passed in California, and if you're going to have it passed in Florida and in New York and all these other states, we could potentially be looking at a completely, you know, you could you could theoretically have a different governing body eventually of college athletics. You could have the Power Five form a new structure and a new governing body. So this could totally turn the NCAA up on its head. Now we're we're many years away from that at, at the best, but. Uh, you know, we could be looking at massive changes in the college game. This is why I said last year the NCAA had its chance with the FBI investigations, all that, to reform, and they just they sat on it. I mean, that was a clear, clear sign, writing on the wall, all those metaphors, that something was coming and something just was going to give in this next decade. And that's going to be the story of sports in this next decade is the transformation of college sports, and it's going to happen quickly. Before... They fall apart. They got to do it one more time. Big, big crackdowns on two institutions. I just wanted your thoughts on it real quick. It looks like Kansas is going to be absolutely slammed unless they're able to fight this off. Level one violations for Bill Self and that program, institutional control. We've heard that before. And Georgia Tech banned from the playoffs for this season. Can you believe Georgia Tech is not going to be in the NCAA tournament this season? (laughs) I can't believe it, man. That's unbelievable. 
I can believe that there was some funky stuff going on with their coach there just from talking to him a few times. What's his name again? He's It's Pass. not Bray. Bray's Notre Dame. Uh, your, your boy Paston, Josh yes. Yeah, the, the whole situation is just a little weird with like his best friend who I don't know if you saw a few years ago, but he, he basically opened this all up because Pastner didn't wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> so so this is the kind of situation that we're dealing with here. But, uh, you know, what I will say, though, is the the, the PR shame and the, the, the situation that you have to have in dealing with the fallout, it does hurt your program. We, we saw that with Syracuse. So while, while Georgia Tech, they might not be a, a world beater or, you know, an ACC contender, it is it is difficult to recover from from scholarship losses and in dealing with the the image problem there. And what I will say is, I know to the outside world it might seem funny, you know, that they're banned from the postseason, but that that also does mean that they won't play in the ACC tournament. Yes. And I will say there are players, believe it or not, on that roster that believe that they could compete for a tournament bid this year. So it is a little bit demoralizing in that sense, you know. When, when the ball is tipped, you know, you're, you're going to play, you're competing, you're not really thinking about that. But but overall, it is a little bit demoralizing. It does bring the mood down a little bit when you're trying to compete. I'm a big ACC guy, ACC bias, all of that. You know, I, my whole time following Syracuse, for the most part, has been in the ACC. And I've grown to love the conference. And I want to see the conference be healthy, have the best teams that it can top to bottom to position Syracuse yeah. to make the tournament every single year. And... Georgia Tech was in a good spot a year or two ago with Josh Okoji, you know, not being a tournament team, but being like a strong NIT bid. And, you know, BC was in that spot, too. And they've dropped off now. And you know, this one's going to hurt them. Yeah, and they do have some players this year. Um, you know, Jay, the James Banks kid, I believe he's gone. But you got the, the Jose Alvarado kid. He's tough as nails at the point. So, you know, those guys, they, they believe that they could be in contention for a tournament bid. You know, even if it's not the NCAA tournament, they still could have made a push for the NIT, like you said. And guess and what? They're going to have to answer those questions to start the year off at Media Day, which is Thursday next week. That's that's always tough seeing the players have to deal with something that falls on the you know organization, especially for things that they didn't even do. So now they're they're thrust into a position where they have to answer for other people's mistakes. So that it's, killed it's me up. with Louisville a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's it's tough to see those guys in that position. It really is, but uh, but yeah, you know, you mentioned you got media day next week. Uh, I'll be up in Syracuse next weekend. Yes. Actually, we got the Syracuse media day at Mellow on October 11th, as well as the Orange versus White scrimmage. So uh, I'll put you back to you. What are you going to be looking for in that Orange versus White scrimmage, Bob? Ooh, I want to see. Ooh, good question. Let me ponder that for four seconds. <laughs> take take a think. Dude, I want, you want to see to... Garrier. You know, I'm I'm thrilled about him, not just because of the O'Shea parallels and the Canada and all of that, but I think he could be a phenomenal player for this team. In fact, we have a roundtable going up probably today or tomorrow uh, about who's going to be the second, third leading scorers on this team. I give him I the chance him. to be in the top three in scoring on this team. I think he's going to be number two, man. Yeah. With the rebounding consistency that he's going to bring, the efficiency of the shots that he's shooting inside, and I imagine he's going to be a vicious dunker. So I'm excited for him in that dunk contest that they usually do at the scrimmage. Yeah, no doubt. I think he's going to be number two, man. And I think, as you mentioned, he's going to be a good rebounder. I think he's someone who can go out there and maybe get seven great rebounds a game, no doubt. 
So I, I look for him just just based on I think he could score the ball. You know, I think he could shoot it at a decent enough clip where guys are going to have to respect him out there, and he can kind of slash and get to the rim and, and offensive rebound a little bit too. Um, I think he should be able to get out on the break and, and you know finish around the rim well. But I, I do think that he'll be number two, just given that the depth at the guard position. I think the minutes are going to be spread out a little bit more there, which means a little bit more opportunity for the forwards. Um, you know, to rack up some points in comparison to the guard. So I think he'll be the second leading score on the Syracuse team this year, believe it or not. All right, real quick, what's your big one you're looking out for? I want to see how well these guys can shoot the ball. Uh, I want to see what the guard rotation is going to look like, how the guards look going at each other. Now, it depends what the teams are going to be here, but presumably you have Jalen Carey versus Bryson Goodine at the point, so I want to see that match up a little bit. And I do want to see, as mentioned, I want to see how these guys shoot it. Uh, we know Buddy can shoot it. We know Elijah can shoot it. Um, did, did, does Goodine come out? Can he knock down shots? Can Joe Girard get going? Uh, has Jalen Carey improved his three-point jumper a little bit? And maybe we see a little bit of range from Robert Braswell and Marek Dolajai. So that's, gonna, that's what I'm looking you're for. You're going to see. I mean, Jerry McNamara stole that three-point competition, I think, the sophomore <laughs> year where the team just had no shooting at all, but they made the Sweet 16. I don't think he's going to win this year with Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim, you know, even Goodine out there. That's going to be a hell of a shootout. Yeah, you got guys that can fill it up this year. So that that should be a that should be a huge tailwind for the Syracuse offense this year. Should open it up for Jalen Carey a little bit, some more driving lanes, more space floors, more more of a modern game. So we're all looking forward to that. I think everybody's touched on that. Round table is going to keep coming every week. Uh, we got a player preview up earlier this week. That was Howard Washington, man. Howard Washington, and we got Elijah Hughes to wrap the week up. Going to be on Friday. We got this pod Thursday, and a week from today, we're going to be watching Media Day down in Charlotte. I'm sure Bayheim's thrilled for that trip. Elijah <laughs> Hughes and Marek are joining him. Do you think we'll get a Marek soundbite? Uh, we, we'll get something. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but we'll get something out of Marek, no doubt. The season's he's, he's here, funny. James. He's the funny. Season's with... here. It's here, man. We got it. And uh, I will say, Jim Baham's definitely not looking forward to going down to Charlotte. All right, we'll see you in the ten days. Ten days from uh, Media Day, we'll see you at the Mellow Center. We're gonna have video. We're gonna have a podcast. We're gonna have all that stuff. Articles. Gonna be a busy day next Saturday, and I'm excited to see you, James. I'm excited to see you well, and we we might even have Matthew Gutierrez on from the athletic. Yes. Stay tuned. All right.